The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Welcome to the Inn. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Janie. I'm on staff here. And for those of you who are confused by my attire, don't worry. I'm confused as well. After a shutout victory on Saturday, I'm standing up here in a cougar shirt. I don't. Uh, it's a bit redonkulous, right? But here's the deal. We had a fundraiser again this year where here, the Inn in Seattle, us versus the Inn at WSU. And once again, the Inn at WSU beat us. I know. Ugh. So here's the scoreboard, the amount of money that we, they raised. Yeah. Three dollars more, um, but if it's the price that I must pay um, to advance the kingdom of God, I'll do it. I'm not going to like it, and I'm going to remember this scoreboard. Yeah. We'll remember. We'll remember this scoreboard. It's been a while, like three decades, four decades since there was a shutout, so that's pretty significant. So as I'm up here in crimson colors, the WS cough, that's what I think the cougar looks like. It looks like he's coughing. <laughs> um, just remember this scoreboard. I also want to let you know that um, tonight, Matt Whitney, who is a, a member here at UPC, he's an artist, and actually during the end tonight, he's going to be painting um, in the back corner. So you can't see him, but he is making um, an, an Advent-inspired um, painting. And he is going to different UPC worship services through the month of December, and he's going to be working on it. So tonight he's here with us at the inn. So I invite you, after the inn is over, to go over and take a look at the painting that he is working on and the ways that it reflects Advent. Um, so if you've been here this quarter... You know that we have been going through a series where we're looking at faith and doubt. We're exploring the idea of you don't have to eliminate doubt in order to truly have faith. And in fact, doubt can actually spur us on toward greater faith. It can draw us toward God. It can help us be honest with God and with ourselves. And in in this series, we've actually been looking at biblical stories, characters who were people who struggled with faith and doubt in Scripture. We would think there's not that many, but there's actually a lot. People like Abraham and Moses and Gideon, Jonah, Naomi, Martha. Um, There's a lot of people that we've been looking at this quarter. Now, what all of these characters had in common, something to remember, what they shared across the board when it comes to faith and doubt is one very important thing. They told God they were all in with their faith if God would meet their expectations. If they were able to tell God how things were going to work, then they were going to actually have faith. Now, last week, Brian Petermeyer, the infamous intern with the refillable zit. I know. Disgusting. Sorry, I brought that up again. Anyways. Um, he looked at... Um, the story of Martha, 
and how Martha had these expectations that she placed on Jesus in order for her to have faith. Expectations about when she thought Jesus should show up and what Jesus should do. And Brian had this great point where um, the scripture says that because Jesus loved Martha, he actually waited. He actually helped her in her faith by not doing exactly what Martha expected to happen. So these folks that we've been looking at, um, they had faith in God if essentially they had control and their expectations were met. Then they would have faith. Now, does that sound like faith at all? Kind of sounds like the opposite of it, right? Faith is about not knowing for sure. That's why it's called, this kind of the definition of faith. And I don't know if that's something that resonates with you in your own life. If you feel like, okay, I'll have faith if I know what the outcome is going to be, right? If my expectations are met. If I'm honest, I know that resonates with me. It's much easier to have faith if I know what's going to happen. But also, there's a key ingredient that all of these biblical characters had, besides just the fact that they had expectations. There's a key ingredient that allowed them to move forward in their faith, even though they still had doubts. Even though they were overwhelmed by their doubts. And the key ingredient that all of them shared was trust. They all shared trust in God. And tonight, I want to take a closer look at this idea of trust and where it fits in on this continuum of faith and doubt and and how it's all kind of involved and wrapped up um, in what we believe. So before we do that, I just want to take a minute and just pray that God would be with us here tonight. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. We think of you in the season of Advent the season of anticipation for the coming of your son. And God, we pray that tonight the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, that you would be present with us here and that you would be glorified. In your holy name, amen. So you guys might think, all right, so they've probably definitely run the gamut on all of the characters of scripture who struggle with doubt, right? Well, don't worry, we haven't run out. There's plenty that haven't been covered. Tonight, the dude we're going to look at is actually um, someone who is synonymous with doubt. He's, um, his name is Thomas. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, he is one of Jesus's 12 disciples. And poor guy, he's actually been nicknamed Doubting Thomas, right? Doesn't leave a lot to, why did you choose that guy? Personally, I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Yes, it's true, he was a ginormous doubter, but I have a hard time believing he was the only disciple that struggled with doubt. I mean, look at someone like Peter, right? He was always doing and saying stupid stuff. It's not like we could call him stupid Peter. <laughs> I was meeting with the in-speaking team, and we were talking about, we were talking about Thomas, and um, Dan Fiedler actually said, you know, it's kind of funny, because you... You think that probably a bunch of disciples probably doubted, just like Thomas. We should call him typical Thomas. And I, I really liked that. And not just because I appreciated the tidiness of the alliteration. But it, is, it does make sense, more sense to me, right? So tonight, the talk touts the testimony of typical Thomas. We're going to look at a couple of places where Thomas appears in scripture and how he struggled with doubt. 
Now, the first appearance of scripture is actually the same one that Brian talked about last week with Martha and Lazarus. And what's happened is that Jesus has been in the land of Judea with his disciples, and he has been preaching and teaching there, and essentially, he's been thrown out of town. They've all been thrown out of town. Um, and then he finds out that Lazarus, who's a good friend of his, is sick. Um, and so we're actually going to pick up in John chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 7. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going to go back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Basically, he's saying that it's important to remember faith, and those who walk without faith are walking in darkness, so they need to remember to have faith as they go forward. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, that's just his name in Greek, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. So that's Thomas. Let's follow Jesus to our deaths. Part of me wonders if he's being sarcastic in this passage, this is going to be great. Let's go get stoned. Literally. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I, think, I think reading irony into everything is kind of a 21st century phenomenon. Which I like because I'm great at it. But let's assume that Thomas is actually being sincere in this instance. Obviously, this is not the passage that he gets the nickname Doubting Thomas, because he is all in, 100% trusting in Jesus, following him into the firing line, actually. He's willing to give up his safety in order to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Seems a tad bit crazy. Maybe he should be called Crazy Thomas. But I think there's something important for us to notice here, and that is for us to remember that the life of faith Never is it guaranteed to be safe. It's not guaranteed to be safe, but the life of faith can be secure. Now, there's an important distinction there between safety and security. Faith might lead us into all kinds of dangers, physical, intellectual, spiritual, emotional, but it simultaneously can give us a sense of the meaning and the purpose that we might need for the groundwork of security in our lives. Security of who God has created us to be. What Thomas demonstrates on a small scale is trust. He has trust that even though he's giving up his safety, he is following Jesus wherever he goes because he is 100% secure in trusting Jesus. Now, is that something that you hold back from in your faith? Are you willing to say, okay, you know, I mean, I can put part of my trust in God, but I'm also going to hold on to some things that make me feel secure. 
Some things like um, making sure my expectations are met the way I want them to be met, because God might not follow through for me. Maybe some security in achieving things. Maybe living up to the expectations that other people have for you. Maybe security in making sure you control the way other people think about you. The thing is, all of those things that we might put our security in, we're never going to find the end. We're always going to be wanting more security and more security because we think it seems more safe. Maybe you've got one foot, one foot resting on your faith in Jesus. But the other foot is over here, resting in your own ability to control things. Your own ability to make sure your expectations happen. Thomas had it right, at least in these circumstances. He wasn't kind of over here and kind of over here. He was 100% all in, trusting Jesus, no matter where he was going. Are any of you familiar with um, the workout regimen P90X? Yeah? I'm sure you've seen the late-night infomercials. P90X, anybody? Oh, my gosh, you guys. Um, I'm a P90X believer. Obviously, look at me. I'm huge, right? This is Tony Horton. He's getting me, he's getting me jacked. Um, so six days a week in my basement, I do P90X DVDs. And I have to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I was, uh, I was in the basement using a resistance band, which is kind of like a giant rubber band, and it's got handles on the end. And um, I was doing some lap pull-downs. Um, right here, it's the V that you get right here in your back. Lap pull-downs. So anyways, I had, it hooked, I had it on a hook in my basement, right? And um, I'm on my knees, and I'm doing these lap pull-downs. And in order to get more resistance, I have to move further back. At this point, I'm, you know, I'm huge, right? I have a lot of strength, so I have to go pretty far back in order to get some great resistance. And um, so I was... Totally intense. I have my head down, and I'm pulling down on the on the resistance band, and then all of a sudden, just like whap, I just get slapped with this giant slingshot across my chest and my chin, and it was the, the pain was so immediate and intense. I just fell on my face and let out these loud, painful groans. Oh. So over a couple of weeks, I had these huge rubber band bruises. Oh rubber band bruises on my shoulders and I was telling my roommate about it uh, later on and um, she was like how long ago did that happen because your chin is really red I was like five hours ago so um, so I don't always master the equipment but P90X is awesome anyways Tony one of the exercises that you have to do on the legs and back DVD is 80-20 Debbie Sieber speed squats Okay, and in order to do these speed squats, um, you need to stand. Why don't you all get up? Do some 80-20 speed squats. All right. So you need to you need to listen carefully to my instructions. Okay. So on one on on your left leg, you need to put 80% of your weight. Okay. And then you want to put your right leg right at the arch of your foot, and then stretch it out a little bit. Okay, so you kind of do a cockeyed squat. All right, so you're putting 80% of the weight on your left leg, 20% of your weight on your right leg, all right? Now, Tony's going to lead us in some speed squats. 
All right, I know you guys are all going to go home and Google P90X because you want to look like me. Um, my point is, whenever I do that exercise, whenever I do the 80-20 speed squats, you know, Tony, um, I am always reminded of faith. I am, I know. I'm always reminded of faith because how often is it that we are willing to say, okay, when it comes to my faith, I'm going to put 80% in. I'm totally right there, 80%. I'm willing, you know, to get the intense burn on 80% of, with 80% of my weight. But I'm going to leave 20% over here. I'm going to rely on myself to make sure my expectations are met. I'm going to make sure I control how other people see me. I'm going to make sure I don't have to put everything 100% on trusting in my faith because it might be unreliable. Thomas was 100% all in. Let's go die with Jesus. The second time we hear about Thomas it's not quite as chipper and as trusting as he is in the first passage. We're actually going to skip ahead to John um, chapter 20. And at this point, Thomas and all of the disciples have watched Jesus literally be destroyed physically. He's hung to his death on the cross. I'm winded from my squats. Um, <laughs> he's, hung, he's hung to his death on the cross. So we're going to pick it up in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it on my, into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Every time I read this, I always kind of wonder if Thomas wanted to, like, grab the words as soon as they came out of his mouth and, like, shove them back in. You know, you, when you send one of those text messages or type an email when you're fired up and then you hit send and you're like, oh, bleep. That's not the smartest thing to do. But before we jump all over Thomas for the ways he doubts the appearance of Jesus, let's consider the circumstances. First of all, he wasn't present with all the disciples when Jesus showed up in that room. So he didn't have the benefit of witnessing Jesus firsthand like they all did. And secondly, the fact that he wasn't there actually probably speaks strongly to what was going on. Maybe, perhaps he was grieving. 
He was alone. He was in mourning for losing this man that he was willing to follow to his death just a few weeks earlier. It would have been difficult for him to be able to pull out of the funk that he was in when the disciples show up and you know, tell him to believe, let alone celebrate with them. And thirdly, he saw what happened to Jesus' body on that cross. I can imagine he's like, yeah, right, he's alive. Come on now. And finally, if Thomas was someone who was ready to follow Jesus 100%, I'm betting he probably had some expectations for what Jesus saving the world was going to look like. And seeing Jesus die left him disappointed. Thomas's trust in Jesus is completely obliterated. And when trust is obliterated, skepticism is what enters in. I want to take a minute to talk about skepticism because I think it can be something that's really dangerous when it comes to our faith that can pull us away um, towards doubt and wanting to turn our back completely. When you're skeptical of something, you are unwilling to take a risk, to step out of what seems safe. A skeptic is someone who takes an 80-20 approach. Okay, I'm going to put some weight on this foot, but I'm also going to hold on to some of the stuff over here that I can be in control of. I don't want to completely trust, because that's dangerous. A skeptic sounds logical and rational, But under the surface, they're saying, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be wrong. I do not want to look like one of the gullible ones. So instead of trusting, there's a fear of disappointment that outweighs everything else. We would rather appear to be right than risk trusting. And Thomas wanted to hold on to his doubts So hard. He didn't want to risk being wrong because it seemed safer than it would to say, okay, 100%, I trust, I'm totally there, I'm in. Because he wasn't certain that he wouldn't get hurt. When we're in this tug of war of faith, Jesus doesn't say, okay, just get over your doubt, have more faith. What he says over and over again in scripture is simply, Trust me, 100%, all in. Jesus calls us to faith because relationship is based on trust. Trust is the currency of relationship. And I'm not just talking about spiritual relationships. Trust is the currency of every relationship you have. Without it, there is no relationship at all. I was trying to think of an example that college students would relate to when it comes to the fact that trusting the unknown is actually much better than total certainty. And it came, of course, to dating, right? Dating is all about not knowing for certain, isn't it? That's why you guys are constantly DTRing. (laughs) Now, just in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I brought a journal of mine from college um, to give you an example of the uncertainty that goes with dating. So, reference material for the movie of my life. Okay. So what happened was, uh, a friend of mine set me up to go um, on a fraternity dance with someone that was um, 
I didn't, I didn't know. So we went out on the, to this dance. Had a good time, so I went with this guy named Chris Cooper. May 23rd, it's near the end of school, Thursday. <laughs> okay, I have the hugest crush on Cooper. Can I think about anything else? Um, no. <laughs> it's stressing me out big time, and just when I go convince myself how irrational I'm being because he probably thinks I'm a weirdo, he asks me out to go to coffee sometime. So now my hopes are all inflated again. Man, I'm going insane. May 24th, Friday. Okay, I'm totally flying. Last night, Cooper called me and asked me out to coffee. I might be making a huge deal out of nothing because he has lots of female friends, and that might be what he considers me. In the meantime, I'm totally baffled because my journal is actually getting interesting. I wrote him an email that was really cheesy. Well, cheesy for me anyway. It's not like I wrote, you are my intended, I just know it, or anything like that. But I was kind of embarrassed about it until I talked to Kathy, and she said he had a good time on Saturday, he thought I was funny, and then he liked my haircut. <laughs> I don't know what any of this means for him, but I felt cool about it. This is really the first time a guy I thought was rad. That's right, I wrote rad. <laughs> Thought the same things about me. This is all crazy. This is great. At least I will see him at the inn on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, okay, so basically what happened was school ended. I went away to be a counselor at Camp Furwood, and so I wasn't going to see him all summer. And um, he graduated. Um, we did hang out quite a bit over the next year, but obviously not, we broke up. <laughs> like, nothing happened because it's 10 years later. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll uh, wrap it up for you. Okay, June 9th, Sunday. So I'm at camp now, and I should probably finish out the Cooper story. He got the graduation card I sent, and during finals week, he called me twice to see if I wanted to study with him, but I was already at the library. This was pre-cell phones, right? If you didn't get your message at home, you were screwed. All right. Obviously, my, amazing, charming, my amazingly charming self had a big impact on him. Now I guess the ball's in his court. We'll see if he writes me. Now I've decided that whenever I think of him, I will pray for whoever my husband might be. Let's just say I pray for my husband a lot. <laughs> so um, that's what it looks like. Uncertainty in the midst of dating. Do I trust? Do I not? I don't really know where to go with this. Between this and snapping myself with a giant rubber band, I'm coming off awesome tonight. <laughs> so you guys. But dating is, like faith, is an exercise in strategic uncertainty, right? It's precisely this uncertainty that turns us into smitten kittens when we really like somebody, like really, really like them. We all think we want certainty in a relationship, but we don't. We actually want trust. Trust in a person. And we want someone who will trust us as well. Because it allows space for growth and intimacy and discovery of another person that certainty doesn't. I mean, that's just boring, right? The process of falling in love is all about having one foot in and the other foot starting out here, but being willing to bring them together and say, okay, 100%, I am all in. I am trusting in this relationship and that it is going to grow into something amazing. Skeptics don't date because 
It's too dangerous opening yourself up like that. When you trust someone, you give them a gift. You open yourself up. You are willing to be vulnerable with them. And there is no way that you can find intimacy or depth in a relationship unless you are willing to do that. When I trust you, I take a little piece of myself. I take my stuff, my money, my heart, my love, and I put it in your hands. And I hope that you're going to care for it. And that is what Jesus wants from us as well. Jesus wants us to trust him completely. He wants us to put our time, our stuff, our money, our heart, our love into his care. And he is going to care for it. Thomas is completely skeptical until he sees Jesus. And he sees the holes in Jesus' hands and he puts his hands in Jesus' side, and he's ready to follow Jesus to his death again. He says, my Lord and my God. Because he saw that on the cross, Jesus did something that he could trust. He became alive again. And he never says, okay, Thomas, you didn't believe that I was raised from the dead. Our relationship is over. I'm through with you. Instead, he allows Thomas to do what he needs to do. He meets Thomas where he is in his most desperate place. Let's him put his fingers in the holes in his hand so that he might be able to be reminded of the trust that he had and the relationship with God at the beginning and that he was going to have in his relationship with God in time to come. Thomas was unwilling to let his doubts and his skepticism overwhelm him to the point that he was ready to walk away. And he lets his expectations of what's going to happen fall away. And instead he says, I'm all in, 100%. And he is among the disciples in the book of Acts who spread the good news of Jesus The good news that Jesus can be trusted. That he wants to bring each of us into right relationship with himself. Thomas takes part in that. There's nobody in this room who is immune to what happened to Thomas. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a week, your entire life, if your name is Ryan Church. Thomas was someone who was actually intimately connected to Jesus. He saw him every day, and he still doubted. He still struggled with, okay, one foot trusting, but this one, I don't really know if I can trust. When it comes to faith and doubt, the only way we can ever deal with faith and with doubt in the midst of our faith is for our willingness to trust Jesus 100%. All in. And the only reason we're ever able to do that is because of what Jesus did for us. He demonstrated to us that he is more trustworthy and faithful than anything that this world can offer. He was willing to be beaten and tortured for our sake. He went on the cross for us. Died for us. To show that he can be trusted. And scripture says that when he was on the cross, one of the last things he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. 
We translate that to 2009, I'm all in. 100%. Jesus is all in for you. 100%. There's no question, no 80-20. Is there anything in this world more trustworthy than that? Where are you when it comes to faith and doubt and trust? Are you keeping your security in the things that you can control? Creating a perfect life for yourself, relying on your own achievements? Worrying about what other people think about you, about your success? About meeting the expectations that other people have for you? Or are you looking at the expectations of what God has for you? Maybe you're putting all your security and safety in another person instead of in Jesus. Are you 80-20? Maybe that's being generous. Maybe you're 50-50. Jesus wants you all in, 100%. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so grateful that we have a God who is trustworthy. We have a God who has been and always will be faithful. We are so glad that you are all in for us, 100%. And we pray that we would be able to be there too. It is our desire to know you fully and completely, to understand the way that you are at work in our lives Help us to know what it looks like to put all of our trust in you. In your holy name, amen.